I'm former Congressman Gary Franks. And I'm his son, Gary. I'm millennial. We're discussing everything from politics to sports and pop culture. From very different perspectives. We speak frankly. Is there anything I should be looking at on these new shows in the morning that I should pay close attention to? Well, I think that it's the tale of two cities. If you go on MSNBC, I mean, NBC and CBS, which is Face the Na- uh, Meet the Press and Face the Nation, uh-huh. you're going to find that the world is coming to an end because, you know, Trump just <laughs> Isn't misled. always coming to an end? <laughs> it, but he just, he's just, once again, such a liar. And, and, and he knew how this was going to kill people and everything else. They forget about the fact that scientists said that 2.4 million Americans are going to die. Now, God willing, that will never happen. But we're not even at a tenth of that. And so I think that, you know, if you want to go by the scientists, when they first came out and said this is bad, 2.4 million Americans could die. We're doing pretty good considering how bad we're doing. You know, so that's that's one point. And then if you listen to Fox, wholly different message. So it's it's really a tale of two campaigns. But the most telling is the fact that it's close. And that's that's the most telling. And the fact that Joe Biden's really taken a lot of our advice. So we're going to stop giving it to him. So. Uh, that's it, Joe. You cut off. You're on your own. <laughs> so, good luck. And guess what? We are going to try to make up for all the things that we've said to help you, because you took every single one of our points and executed them, including the one that said, get your ass out of the basement now and work your butt off or you're not going to be even close to winning an election. And guess what? You're doing that. So last bit of advice. You're cut off, Joe. You're on your own. So, oh, one last advice. Your best vice president pick would have been Amy Kopitar. Second pick, Christian Gillibrand. But, you know, we didn't give you that advice, Joe, so you didn't take it. I'm curious. Why is that? Why? Because Gopatar did a number of things. One, she actually got delegate support. She actually got people voting for her. She actually had enthusiasm. She actually debated better than everybody else just about on the stage. She actually has a track record of success. She actually served for more than a minute in the Senate. And, you know, so from so many perspectives, that was a smart choice. The fact that she's a Yaley, I have to give her that credit too, because obviously I'm, you know, I'm partial to Yaley's. But the bottom line of it is, Joe, you missed that one. Don't worry about it. You know, you won't have to run again. Are you sure Joe about Brown. that? He's already he's already ran three well, times already. He's, he's already, <laughs> already going to be the oldest guy to ever, ever walk through the White House doors. You know what it is, Gary? The way they picked on Ronald Reagan for being 74 was unmerciful. I'm telling you, they went after him all the time for being 74 and being so-called old. And Biden's going to be young. He's 78. And be, you know, so I, I just... I think it's the, they, the fact that they're avoiding the whole age thing when when you have a situation where the entire House Democrat leadership, they're all over 80. I know them well. I served with them 30 years ago when they were young. They're all over 80, over 80, which is absolutely you know amazing that if the Democrats were to prevail in, this, in their current form in the House and, and, and Joe Biden would win, we would have the oldest leadership in America's history. Joe Biden going into office would be older than Ronald Reagan coming out of office. 
How old was Ronald Reagan when he left office? He was 77. And if Joe Biden were to win, he would be sworn in at 78. What I found to be so interesting this morning was the fact that on Fox, they reiterated. I mean, they stressed so much the fact that it was a poll of likely voters. Because as we've said before, eh, registered voters don't mean a whole lot. And so uh, they stressed that. And it was interesting to see. It showed Trump losing 51 to 46, five points. And I said, oh, let me take a look at where he was at this same point in 2016. 48, 43, five points. Exactly the same. Now, there are other candidates in that race, so that's why the numbers weren't quite as high for either party. But the bottom line of it is five-point margin at this point. And we all know how that ended. But more importantly, what should be stressed is the fact that Joe Biden is no Hillary Clinton when it comes to debates. In fact, Hillary Clinton's one of the best debaters I think the Democrat Party has had. I think Barack Obama attests to that. And many other people who try to go up against her would also attest to. She's outstanding as a debater. And also, when she debated Donald Trump, she was about eight years younger than Mr. Biden. And quite frankly, when, not that age makes a difference, but we know that age makes a difference. So when you look at the fact that Joe Biden did so very poorly, even by the most liberal commentator's assessment in polls against his other eight or nine challengers, maybe only falling behind Bloomberg, he was terrible. So to be five points behind and not be Hillary Clinton is not a good position to be in, Mr. Biden. It's not a good position to be in. We cannot forecast how well or how poorly you're going to do in the debates, but it also underscores the importance of the debate from a number of perspectives, Gary. One is the fact that one of Donald Trump's weakest areas would have to do with white educated voters. Joe Biden, they will be listening. They will be listening and they'll listen to your record. They'll listen to everything about you. But as I said earlier, I'm not going to help you anymore, Joe. That's it. So I'm not going to give you any advice. I'm not going to even lean one way or the other. The bottom line of it is I'm going to try to be very objective without so-called giving advice to, to, to either party. But I'm going to criticize both from where they were from the last episode that we taped to today. I think it's cynical. It's sad. It's depressing. It's horrible. It's every word that you can think of. I'm going to borrow even Hillary's word, deplorable for anyone. A deplorable person would actually really relish in the fact that when Americans die, you do better. That's the definition of a deplorable person. Yeah, I'm going to repeat that. When Americans, the more Americans die from the COVID and get sick from the COVID, you actually do better and you're happy about that. Or you're so disingenuous about that that you, you can't help but get giggly because your whole campaign is based around COVID-19. That is really the meaning of deplorable. I think Hillary, we're going to borrow that term because, you know, deplorable, only a deplorable person would, would, would relish in Americans dying because that helps them. When you mention the fact that Trump is down five points to Hillary, Trump is, a, is actually, in my opinion, he's a good debater. That's actually one of his strong suits is actually debating. So it's really not good for Joe to be only five points up from that perspective because we know Joe is not a great debater, as you already said. Uh, but what what was the big things on the news this week? Well, first, I, I agree with you, Gary. It's not a good position to, to be in. I, I've said before 
that it was rope a dope time. It was a situation where when, when Biden was up by 12 and they were saying he's up by double digits and everyone was all giddy on the liberal side. You know, I said, this is that it means nothing. And a lot of people on the Republican side were holding their punches because, quite frankly, he felt that, you know, Joe Biden would be the easiest person to beat. The, the man, if he were to be elected, would finish his term at the age of 82. Um, never happened before. He, he picked the vice presidential candidate. When you look at the top positions in government, congressman, senator, governor, years of experience in one of those three positions prior to being vice president, no one's more junior than Kamala Harris. No one. Oh, I'm sorry. There's one one person who could come close. That's Sparrow Agnew, who was elected vice president. Everyone had far, 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 far more experience than Kamala Harris in either being a congressman, a senator, or a governor. And bottom line, those are the top positions, not attorney general, sec state treasurer, or secretary of state of the state. No, 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 no. Those are the top three positions. And she has no, very little experience, very, barely four years. So I mentioned earlier what alternatives he could have had, but I'm not getting into that at this point. But getting back to your question, question directly, Gary, it was a rocky week because you have a number of situations that occurred where not that Joe Biden did anything, his, his allies have been actively uh, working diligently to hurt Trump. And Biden has to realize that we all see this. It's not him doing anything. It's everyone else propping him up. So it's not Joe Biden who talked about the issue of COVID this week. It was Bob Woodward in his book talking about statements that were made in his interview months ago, et cetera. It was not Joe Biden who was talking about the military. It was someone from an Atlantic magazine who talked about how Trump said this about the military. Another crutch for Mr. Biden. And the last crutch that he got this week was a mega billionaire going to spend $100 million in the state of Florida and, and independent expenditure of some kind. This is not Joe Biden doing anything, right? This is all other people from the left propping him up. Everyone can see that. You know, Joe, you're not doing anything except staying in the basement. All these other people are trying to help you. And bottom line, Americans don't like people who, you know, don't raise their own fight that pe other people have to come and help them. You know, it's like being in the schoolyard and you, you can't handle yourself so your big brother or your sister or someone has to come over and help you out of it. Yeah, it doesn't, you, you don't get bruised, but it doesn't look good. You know, it just doesn't look good. And so that's what you're looking at, Joe, because it, it doesn't look good from a more objective perspective. Plus, when people see that, it causes you to really side with the other person because all of these hits are so unfair. Okay, Trump called veterans or people in the military it's a derogatory term. You got 15 people who are there who said that what that never happened. Trump's underscored the virus. Fauci underscored the virus. Fauci was the one who said, hey, you know, uh, you don't need masks. And then Fauci overscored the virus. 2.4 million Americans are likely to die. Thank God we're nowhere near that. We don't remember all those comments that Fauci made. He goes back and forth, back and forth like a yo-yo. But, you know, when it serves their purpose, he's a great, he's a hero. When it doesn't, they forget what he said. So... It was a, a rocky week from those perspectives as far as hits against Donald Trump. But I'm going to go back to my earlier point, And I said this in the last episode as well. Both individuals should be studying hard for the debate. And Donald Trump has enough ammunition on, on Joe Biden to more than bury him among white educated voters and among all voters because his voting record is absolutely terrible.
whether you look at NAFTA and all the jobs that we lost, MFM for China, which he's been for every single trade situation that really has lost American jobs, put it the wrong side of all the wars. Here's what I do get blamed for, Gary. When you have a chance and you have under your control a situation that you know how to deal with, not a pandemic where no one knows what, you know, we're all walking in the dark on. Why didn't Bush, I'm talking about George W. Bush, end those wars? And why didn't Barack Obama and Joe Biden? Why are we still over there for 19 years? 19 years, longer than any war. That's a failure. That, that, that's what I call a failure. If you can't get something done in 19 years, you need to be kicked and you know, you know, you're, you know what. Win or get the hell out. It's about, that's the bottom line of it. And unfortunately, Joe Biden, and when he was there, kept it going for another eight years. Hopefully Donald Trump will continue to get us out of those, those, those theaters. The only people that benefit, quite frankly, in my estimation, the defense complex. They love it. They love it. But it's not what we, Americans want. We want to be out of those areas. The fact that there could be peace in the Middle East, to a certain degree, a greater sense of peace. That's what we want. That's what the world would need. So the debate should be very, very interesting and very telling to, to, to all individuals. Now, on the side of Donald Trump, to be very critical. I think President Trump missed out on an opportunity. When he was in Kenosha, I strongly believe, in fact, I tweeted this, I was happy he was going, even though the governor of the state did not want him to go there. But I did think that he was going to make contact with the Blake family. I think that hurt him. He may not think he, it did, but I believe it did. And the recent poll in Fox shows Biden at 93% with the black population, only 5% for Trump. A few days ago, Biden was sitting at around 80-something percent, and Trump was sitting at 11%. The only difference that I saw would be the Jacob Blake situation and the ongoing incidents of blacks being, being unarmed blacks being hurt or harmed or, and or killed by police officers. I do believe to be on the critical side of Donald Trump that he should be much more sympathetic toward the victim. And the victims have been, since George Floyd, in many instances, black individuals. Now, that does not mean when you show sympathy toward the victim of the black person that you're, you're being anti-police. No, it has nothing to do with that. The good police officers are bad police officers. In fact, as I said before, quite frankly, I've never seen a story where a black police officer has done any harm to an unarmed black person or an unarmed white person. No evidence of it. I wonder why. So policing is not really a problem. There's a problem with some white people who are doing these things and they should be handled accordingly. But I think that was a, a missed opportunity on the president's side. I don't think law and order is, a, is, is something that you can ride all the way to November 3rd. As I said before, rent a riot can happen on both sides. And so the issue can become neutral. I said this in the last episode. So. The record of Joe Biden, though, he cannot run from, and also Kamala Harris's record, she cannot hide from. And I believe that once exposed, the American people will, will judge accordingly. Do we know when the debates are going to be at this time? Yes, Gary. The first debate will be on September 29th, and then there will be two debates in October, plus a vice presidential debate sometime in October. I'm not sure of the dates in October. But the first debate will be on September the 29th. Like I stated before, I think the debates are going to determine everything. But how are they going to do the debates? 
Do you know that as well? Well, usually they have at least one debate in which you have a, a town hall type of setup where both candidates would be at a podium and people would be in the audience and would uh, ask questions. They may do that remotely this time because of COVID. I'm not sure. But the town hall meeting style is something that uh, they've been doing now for 25, 30 years. Then there's debate usually uh, where there's a panel of interviewers. When I say panel, maybe at least two, three, maybe four people interviewing or asking questions. And then you have a debate in which there's just one moderator posing the questions. The debates are something to see because it, it allows people to really get behind the thinking of the candidate and also uh, see what kind of vision the candidate would have for the future. How do you think the debates will be affected by COVID? This could be like another situation of Nixon and Kennedy from the perspective of the way the debate could be you know, uh, filmed or the way the debate could be viewed by us. I think in all three debates, Gary, the candidates will be in the same room. Uh, they'll just be far apart. I hope they do it that way, the way you just said it. But if if it's almost like a Zoom call, it'll be very weird. Yeah, it won't be that. The debates can be very telling. I'll give you a couple of examples of events that happen in debates that actually potentially cost the candidate a few uh, a few votes. Well, no, say more than a few votes. A lot of votes, but not enough to turn the election, but enough to, in a close election, to be pivotal. Not in any particular order, but I think of the Al Gore debate against George W. Bush. That was a razor-thin election. It was an election that had Al Gore actually winning the, the popular vote and losing the election. It took a long time for the decision to come down from the state of Florida. was pivotal. Now, what happened in that debate? Well, you had a town hall type of setup, which meant that the candidates did not really have a podium to stand behind. They, for the most part, had a podium, but they walked in front of the podium and kind of tried to engage the, the, the person asking the question in the audience. Well, George Bush got a question and he started answering it. And Al Gore, for some reason, though he was on his side of the stage, started to walk slowly toward George Bush to the point where he was invading George Bush's space. Bush looked at him once and then he glanced at him again and kind of smiled like, hey, okay, buddy, what, what, what's going on? He just kind of close. The audience kind of took what Bush was saying or doing and responded by going, <gasps> by making that type of a noise. And all of a sudden, Gore realized that he was actually on the wrong side of the stage <laughs> and that he had invaded Bush's territory which is cardinal rule number one in a debate. It's to be cordial in a debate and not interrupt a person's space. And then Gore kind of backed off because Bush looked at him like, what, what the hell are you doing? So that, I believe, hurt Gore. And, and once again, the close election, it, it could have caused people to have a concern for him as far as why they would want to vote for Gore. It's just too aggressive. Another situation occurred in a senatorial race in which a friend of mine was running against Hillary Clinton. And it was the same spatial situation where Hillary was at one podium and, and their challenger was at the other podium. And the candidate, the Republican, was challenging Hillary Clinton to not approve or not support any outside commercials being run in the campaign. He got so upset about that, he took a sheet of paper and walked over to Hillary's side 
and said, hey, I signed this sheet of paper saying that I would not accept any commercials that are run by outside organizations. And he walked over to her, put it on her side of the podium, and demanded that she sign it right there. Hillary looked over at him like, what are you doing? Why are you over here? Why are you touching my podium? And that was it. Kiss of death. There's no way. After people saw that, there was absolutely no way this guy was going to win. And that's when Hillary won her first Senate race. Those are two examples. The most classic one, however, would be George H.W. Bush in the race against Bill Clinton in 1992. You had a third candidate in that race, Ross Perot. Now, because you had a third candidate in the race, typically, you know, they would go to one person, they would respond. Then you would go to the other person, they would respond. And then you go to the third person, they would respond. And they would mix the order. So if you've already responded, and now they're going to the next guy, who will go to the next guy, you figure the camera's not on you anymore. Uh, wrong. So George Bush had given his response and figured that he, would have gone, he was going to have to wait for Bill Clinton to respond and then for Perot to respond. And what he did was, not knowing the camera was still on him, he looked down at his watch and started staring at his watch during the debate. And that was it. It just looked like he was so out of touch and that he was acting like a robot. Okay, I gave my answer. No, I'm not doing it. And it just looked so bad when everyone else, the other two candidates, were were very attentive to the whole process, and he seemed distracted, and he was the sitting president of the United States. It hurt him. It hurt him. So those are kind of like mistakes that people make that it was obviously not the answer that caused the candidate a problem. It was not the rebuttal that caused the candidate the problem. It was their actions that caused the candidate the problem. So there's a lot of things that can happen in a campaign. Now, when I was a little boy, when John F. Kennedy ran against Richard Nixon, it was a matter of, believe it or not, the temperature in the room. We're going to have an episode on debates probably next week or very soon thereafter because all of these things can be debated. The temperature of the room. In one of my debates, we were talking about Chris Dodd using a platform to stand on. You know, so all of these things, will, will you be seated or will you be standing? All of these things are, are negotiable. All these things are negotiable. Now, why was it so important about the temperature? Well, TV and debates, it was not something that we were doing back in the day in 1960. It was a, it was a first. And so the lighting was, was tough for people to get adjusted to. And with light comes heat. And so when the room may be at maybe 72, 73 degrees, when you're standing at a podium and the lights are on you, it's going to get warm. And so Kennedy supposedly had makeup on and Nixon did not have makeup on. That's what's been said. But the bottom line of it is Kennedy did not sweat on the stage. Nixon did sweat. And when people see you answering questions and you're sweating profusely, it just makes people uncomfortable, especially when you're supposed to be the more senior person as vice president of the United States, Richard Nixon, versus this junior senator from Massachusetts. Now, he had served in office in Congress for 14 years. He was congressman for six years and senator for eight years. But still, Nixon had the experience on Kennedy, and yet Kennedy looked more poised. But made that election really stand out is that people who heard the debate on radio 
felt that John F. Kennedy was destroyed by Richard Nixon because that's what they heard. They heard the responses. People who saw the debate on TV said Kennedy won overwhelmingly because of the visual effect of Nixon sweating and John F. Kennedy looking cool, calm, and collected. So once again, <laughs> some of the ways you lose a debate or influence people during the debate could have nothing to do with your actual answers. Following three terms on the city council and three terms in Congress, former Congressman Gary Franks' consulting firm has helped scores of companies, large Fortune 500 firms, small businesses, and even startup companies secure millions of dollars in federal government contracts and international business opportunities. Congressman Franks, a Yale grad, author, Fortune 500 executive, and former visiting professor at Georgetown University, UVA, and Hampton University, will use his knowledge, experience, relationships, and strategic plan model to help you reach that next level of success. Schedule your participation in an upcoming webinar to learn just how Congressman Franks can help you. For more information, email gary at garyfranks.org now. One of the funniest moments I can ever remember in a campaign, in a debate, I should say, was Ronald Reagan against Walter Mondale. Ronald Reagan at the time was in his late 70s. Sound familiar, Joe? But, you know, he was in his late 70s. No, I'm sorry, mid-70s, mid-70s. He was a lot younger than you, Joe, a lot younger. So he was in the debate against Walter Mondale. And Walter Mondale was probably in his late 40s, early 50s. And during the debate, or even prior to the debate, people were talking about Ronald Reagan's age. They said, man, look out, the guy's 73, come on for president. Yeah, I know, Joe, I know you're going to be 78 in November. I know, I know. But this is what they said. The guy's 73, run for president, he's too old. This is not going to worry, he's just too damn old, too damn old. So what did Ronald Reagan do in the debate, Gary? He said right off the bat, after getting a question, he said, I know people have encouraged me to, to exploit the fact that my opponent is so young, but I refuse to get into the age debate because inexperience is not something we should be talking about. And the place went wild. <laughs> the applause was overwhelming. Even Mondale had a laugh. It was so funny. He disarmed everyone. The age situation was supposed to be only on him, on Ronald Reagan. And he turned it around as though the age situation was on Mondale because he was too damn young. <laughs> it was so funny. And I believe that he won in the landslide, he being Ronald Reagan. But it was one of the most entertaining moments in the debates, and I'm still remembering it now. I'm, I'm giving this response to you, Gary, without having any notes about any debates. I'm just saying how I remember debates. I'm going to give you one last one in a second. But that was so hilarious and so powerful that it helped Ronald Reagan become president. So debates can mean everything. Now, one of the biggest full pauses in the debate was when you try to make a point and when your opponent is just waiting for you to make that point, because it's like a lob and the, your opponent has a baseball bat and just waiting to hit that ball so far out of the park that it'll take a person the whole day to go get the ball again. Well, that's what happened in the debate in 1988. And that debate was not a presidential debate, however. It was a vice presidential debate. It was between Dan Quayle and... Benson, Senator Benson, Lloyd Benson from Texas. 
Lloyd Benson was quite an individual. He had beaten George H.W. Bush, the person who was running for president. He had beaten him for a Senate race back in the 60s. And so they're both from Texas. And Lloyd Benson had risen up in the ranks of the party and the, for the Democrats and was very well respected, running with a guy by the name of the caucus, the Massachusetts governor. Dan Quayle got up and said, well, you know, you're going to talk about my age. I'm only, I think, I think at the time, Dan Quayle was like 41, 42. Senator Benson, you know, you're talking about my age. Well, I like to tell you this, that, you know, I served three terms in the House of Representatives. I've been elected to the Senate twice. And I've served eight years in the Senate. I'm in my second term. Senator Benson, I have 14 years of experience. I have the same amount. You heard that, Kamala, that's yours is four. Quail was 14, and they said it wasn't that much. Okay, Quail said, you know, I, I have uh, 14 years of experience in Congress as a congressman, as a senator. In fact, Mr. Benson, I have the same number of years of experience as John F. Kennedy had when he ran for president. So Benson listened to him and he put a little smile on his face and he looked over to Dan Quayle and he said, Senator, Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. I know Jack Kennedy. And Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy. Oh, it was a punch that was so far under the belt that it was like knockout time. It was so bad that we thought H.W. Bush was going to lose the election because Quayle got hit so hard below. It was above the belt. I shouldn't say that. He was hit so hard in the gut that it was like, can he come, come back? It was so ugly. It was so ugly, Gary, that I don't think Quayle had a response. And the audience went, <gasps> you know, it was like, it was, it was, it's something that was so bad. You got to Google it. That's the only, that's the only way you can truly appreciate this hit. It was probably the best hit of all hits ever given by a vice presidential candidate in the debate. So debates can be pivotal. And Donald Trump has gone through one against a very good debater. And that's um, Hillary Clinton. You know, fill me in here. How did Biden do in his debate when he was vice president with Obama? Good question, Gary. He debated, uh, let's see, he had Paul Ryan when he ran for re-election. You know, people can go back to that, but I remember several times when Paul Ryan got into policy and, and Joe said, oh, come on, man, come on, man. You know, just tried to avoid, you know, really talking about things of substance, which he uh, kind of has a tendency of doing. I mean, he, that's why when he talks about people lying, I mean, this is a guy who plagiarized a person's speech. I mean, and plagiarized when he was in school. I mean, that's like the epitome of lies. That's, that's like getting thrown out of school lies. He didn't get thrown out, but... You know, he came out on the line. And and obviously, once he plagiarized someone's speech, almost to the word, that ended this campaign. I mean, this, this, you, know, you say to yourself, the guy who says black people are going to be in chains. I mean, that he's going to talk about dividing people. I mean, that's pretty harsh to say that if you vote for a Republican, black people are going to be in chains. When Democrats were the ones always holding up every single civil rights bill that's ever been passed. And you, well, you may not know it, Joe, but if you did a little research, you will find out that that was true. More Republicans voted for the civil rights bills in the 60s, percentage-wise, in the House and the Senate than your folk. And the people who you really put your arms around during that period of time in the 70s were the ones who were filibustering those bills, Joe. The ones did not want to see Black people get any type of fairness. So, But you embraced those folks then, but obviously everyone's giving you a mulligan because you get mulligans for saying that all black people must vote for you or, uh, or they're not black, they give you a mulligan. So you could say things and get mulligans because 
Yeah, that's what they do. So you just mentioned the second one. How do you do on the first one? Oh, yeah, that's right. And, and on the first one, it was, uh, it was interesting. McCain picked Sarah Palin for vice president. Now, um, I think Kamala Harris can relate to this because I, I think that uh, Sarah Palin, I don't believe she had four years of prior experience, that being in one of the top positions, governor, senator, congressman as well, because she was uh, governor of Alaska for a minute. It was ugly for Sarah Palin. And so Joe Biden did extremely well. But then again, that was in 2008. That was 12 years ago when Joe Biden was a young man. He was just 66 years old. There's a big difference between 66 and the person who's getting ready to turn 78. So, but he did well. No, not, I, I don't remember anything that would stand out in a negative way against Joe Biden when he was 66. But um, it was more of a verdict of um, Sarah Palin, who was not good. Don't forget to subscribe.